This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, and that music means one thing and one thing only. Joining us live, ESPN's own Greg Wyshynski. We're going to talk about the Devils, and we're going to talk about his Oilers pick, but uh, going to go off the hockey page to kick it off. Let's see where this takes us. <laughs> Hello, Wish. How are you? That's a first. Never the first time we've ever yeah, uh, hang on a not talked about hockey. I I know. Welcome to the hockey show. Let's not talk about hockey. Um, I, I just reading this on the break, so I'm getting you know the the weather's getting nicer, so I'm gonna actually because I'm I'm kind of a I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to running in the winter. I don't do it outdoors. I you know I hop on the treadmill, but the weather turns, and then all of a sudden I get really excited about being able to go and, and run outside. So on the break in uh, Canadian Running Magazine online, I'm reading about this guy. He's an Ironman champion, Colin Chartier. Okay, so he popped hot, tested positive for EPO, right? Hmm. So he writes a letter on Instagram. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm curious your thoughts on this one, and we're gonna break this, bring this somehow back to hockey. I assure you. So he writes a letter on uh, an open letter on Instagram after getting uh, after getting caught using PEDs. I am sorry. I am deeply sorry, and I want to apologize to my family, friends, supporters, and the sport in general. I've been suspended for a positive out of competition doping control, and I'm suspended for three years. I have no plans to return to triathlon professionally. I started using this PED in November after feeling like I've lost my way in this sport. In the moment, I was injured and sick and felt I had to do this if I was going to have the success I wanted in 2024. Feelings of an intense pressure and expectations to win the biggest races in 2024, along with feeling unhappy with the personal sacrifices I had made. In my mind, I thought I had to deny myself friendships, happiness, socializing, and having fun and training to be the best, and I lost the love for my sport. In my mind, it became all or nothing. I went all in, too much so, and now I am all out. And then he takes some shots at other competitors. I'm not going to give myself or anyone else the BS excuse like a tainted burrito or tainted COVID vaccine. I made a terrible choice, and now I will face the consequences, own it, and move on. Have you ever thought a day in your life if you were a hockey player and you uh, you pissed hot and got caught, uh, how you would do your explanation slash apology? Because I like this. This is him saying like, yeah, I did it and this is why I did it. How would you do it? First of all, all I heard there was a Canadian apologizing, which as an American, I mean, a little, no, a he's little American. too on the he's nose. An Ameri- he, no, oh, he's, he's American? He's ah, an damn. American triathlete. He's an American I, uh, 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 impersonating a Canadian. Blew my joke because I thought it was Canadian Running Magazine. I made the assumption. So listen, <laughs> I have thought about this no. because I've thought about in the past when we've had guys get caught and they've come up with excuses, whether Propecia. or not Propecia, or, or I, I ingested something <laughs> that my trainer gave me that I didn't know what it was, oh, yeah. and it turned out it wasn't cornflakes. I mean, like, all of these things. I, Merrick, I got to tell you, man, if I was using and I got caught, I would I would literally come up with any – I would be like, 
I don't know, man. I bought I bought this. I had these pancakes the other day, and the syrup tasted a little funny. I think someone put PEDs in it. Like I would come up with anything <laughs> I could possibly imagine to ensure that my integrity was not impugned and that no one thought I was a cheater. But I would do what this cat did if 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 I was staring into the abyss and it appeared <laughs> that I was going to get Lance Armstrong out of the sport. I would definitely take as many people down as i possibly could i would be like look at that guys look at the size of that guy's chin what do you guys think about the size of that guy's chin why do you think he grew a beard i mean i would i would take anybody down that i could with me yeah no this one's an interesting one because i've always i've always been waiting for the athlete uh who gets caught and says yeah, I did it because I wanted to bring a championship to your team and this organization. <laughs> and I will do anything to win. When I say I'll do anything to win, I mean I will do anything to win. I got caught, but you know what? I'll do it again because I will do anything for this team. I'll do anything to bring a championship to this fine city, etc., etc., etc. I'm waiting for that one. No. We not, haven't had that get... statement. Right, yet. we haven't got that. Not to get too far into the weeds on this, but, you know, we haven't had, we've never had a lot of these in, in hockey in particular. Um, and I feel no. like we've had less of these in, in sports overall. In your expert opinion, do you think that's because the testing is so good that guys don't use or the guys are using things that can't be detected by the testing anymore? Who was the, um, uh, who was the Balco guy? What was his name? Because he had a great line about this. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I remember that guy. I remember the guy. Uh, what was his name? Someone, Alco someone's Labs. Me. Victor, Conte. Victor, Con Victor Conte. Victor Conte. For all of your Conte. performance enhancement needs, trust Balco Labs. Balco Labs, the brand yes. you trust. Vi Victor Conte had the, had the great line, which is, I don't know what you mean when you say drug test. I don't know what a drug test is. There's no such thing as a drug test. There's no such thing as drug tests. There are only IQ tests because if you can't pass a drug <laughs> test, <laughs> and that was Victor Conti's that's all of it. There is no such thing as a drug test. There are only IQ tests. That's it. That's it. That's so I mean, true. I don't know. Like I don't, I don't play the like what's in the gym bag game, and I yeah, I'm not that guy that sort of you know gets gets too excited one way or another about it. It's probably for a bigger discussion. You know, the nature of you know, what is, you know, what is cheating and what is, you know, creatively looking for an advantage and what is technology versus, you know, the, uh, things that you ingest to, to help you um, uh, to uh, reframe your body and heal quicker, et cetera. It's for a much bigger conversation than we're going to have here. Um, but I, I'm to be with, to be honest with you, I'm kind of surprised that there isn't more of this. And I'm actually also surprised we haven't had a more mature conversation about what these things actually do. And again, yeah, that's for a much bigger conversation. Um, yeah, we're not going to have time to have on, on today's program. But I'm just surprised that even in, in the era right now where and for hockey, it's people like, you know, Riley Cote that are, you know, putting forward ideas about, you know, whether it's, you know, um, uh, using various uh, otherwise controlled substances uh, to help treat uh, anxiety, uh, using natural substances to help, you know, sleep and healing, et cetera. I'm surprised that we haven't had yet the conversation yep. about what That's... PEDs actually do for you. 
and that's maybe the way you get fans to re-engage on it. Like I, I, I tend to believe that we're, we are not talking enough about this because the fans have kind of moved past it. You know, the the days of, uh, you know, wringing your hands over which uh, sixty home run guy is using, I think, are long gone. But there is a lot of uh, interest and engagement on the after effects of sports on athletes and what can be done to protect yep. these guys from themselves. And I think if if it circled back to that conversation, we might see it back in the zeitgeist again. Yes. We shall see. Okay, I just wanted to lay that out too because I just found the apology and the explanation just all too humorous. Like he was like, mea culpa, mea culpa, but that guy too and that guy too. What's this burrito excuse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Colin Chartier, I'm on your team. EPO all day, baby. Um, okay. Um, first of all, you got to be feeling right chuffed about your Edmonton pick right about now. Yeah. As long as the boys keep scoring their way out of trouble, um, we're in good shape. We're, you know, we're in very good shape. <laughs> um, look, it, 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 every game is an adventure. Um, I'm wasn't surprised when they rallied in game four, like that's just what they do. Um, I yep. am encouraged by some of the things that they've done on home ice. Like that was a pretty emphatic win last night. Um, there were moments in, I think it was, what was it? Game two when they actually looked like a, a pretty great defensive team. <laughs> like they, and it's some shot suppression against the Kings was off the charts. That only lasted for 20 minutes, but it was great. Um, yeah, I am feeling pretty good <laughs> about it because I do think that the, the way that the team is constructed right now, as long as everybody's healthy and by everybody, I mean, Connor and Leon, um, I don't think there's a team in the West that I would pick over them in a series. Um, and the Stanley Cup final obviously would be a different situation. But uh, I, I think, I think, yeah, I am comfortable with my pick right now of, of the Oilers in the West. See, the thing is, it's not just, I mean, it's, it's not even, you know, Connor McDavid saying, get on my back. We're going to the, we're going to the promised land here. If anything, it's, it's Leon that's doing that. Yep. Um, I yep. mean, he's been phenomenal. Um, but, and again, I know we're all having a, a laugh at, you know, the crocodile skin of, of Zach Hyman, how he takes a shot off of his face and <laughs> scores. And, you know, he, I didn't even need to get stitched up. And he kind of said, is my jaw still in place? Okay. I'm, I'm good to go out there. And then everybody had to have their, uh, look how tough hockey players are. We're tougher than every other sport, which I really hate, by the way, I'm not sure where you're at on that one, but I can't stand that, you know, like, oh, look, we're so much tougher than basketball players and, and baseball players and, like I, I, I'm sorry. Like the only sports that can do that are combat sports. Like UFC, you can you can do that one. Uh, boxing, you can do that one. I I find it distasteful when when hockey people do it. But nonetheless, well, it's, it's also um, it's, it's, it's also very one. it's it's also very very please like my sport. You know, like the memes. The it, uh, the one we always so track tough. back to is 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 the Gregory Campbell memes of like you know. LeBron didn't play because he had a hangnail and Gregory Campbell scored a goal with a broken leg and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. when I see these, these, these kind of like hockey is so tough stuff being floated around social media, like, Hey, Patrice Bergeron played Stanley cup final with a punctured lung. I'm like, or maybe don't, maybe don't do that. <laughs> like it's okay. It's okay. If we don't, we don't need to a lionize these yeah. guys and maybe don't play if you have a punctured lung. But, um, the, the one thing I'll say about the Oilers series, we've seen some, there's been two really big goaltending decisions made in these playoffs so far. Three, actually. One of them was terrible, which was starting Flurry in game two uh, for the Wild. And then the other two were pretty good. I, under, which was I, the understand, I understand that, though. I, I under, But I, I, but I don't think it's a good one, idea. Though. No, but it's dumb, though. 
but it's dumb. Like I understand that I understand it too, but the logic isn't there. That kid's been great, and and they op- they jammed, yes. they kicked open the door for Dallas to come back in that series by playing Flurry, who was terrible in that game. Hmm. Okay. But the, the thing other is, two, like that's been yeah, their process all season. But hang on, that's been their process all season long. Like I, I don't think that you. I mean, eventually they did after you know Flurry had by what he referred to as an embarrassing performance. Like by his own standards, and he may a culpa right away. Like, yeah, my 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 performance was embarrassing, but that's the way they did things all season long. Do you just abandon? Like, that's the decision. Do you just completely abandon your process in the Merrick, playoffs? Do you think? Or do you think they've abandoned it? Do you, do you think continue? they've abandoned it now? Do you think they've abandoned it? now? Hundred percent, they have. Hundred percent. Okay, so why wouldn't you abandon it in game two? Guy, and they're like, riding that's... their guy. Right. So you had the guy. You had the guy after game one. Why would you? If you're going to abandon under- the process now, I then under- you should abandon it in the first two games of the series. It was obviously the right decision because you ha- to keep playing Gustafson. When you're the process-oriented team, as they were flip-flopping netminders, you only do that. You only abandon your process when you get to that, in case of emergency, <laughs> break glass moment. And after you saw Marc-Andre Fleury allow Dallas back into the series the way that he did, that was, in case of emergency, break glass. They abandoned their process in game three. That's not a process. That's not even Uh a process. Just play the kid all the games. He's obviously the better goaltender at this stages of their career. And based on what we saw in the regular season, that was a terrible decision. But let me continue. Vitek Vanacek to Akira Schmidt. Yep. Vanacek to Schmidt was a very smart decision on the part of Lindy Ruff. He calmed things down. I still think that when I watch Schmidt... I see a guy where the puck is literally bouncing off him like his pads are made of flubber. Whatever, it's fine. The Devils are playing well in front of him. But that decision by Woodcroft to go back to Skinner after game four was brilliant. There was a high probability, Merrick, that they were going to fall in love Mm -hmm. with a guy who came in, stabilized things in game four, got the W, they go back to Campbell in game five, and you know what you get then? Mike Smith 2.0. That's what you get then. To go back to Skinner in game five was mm. the logical decision, the right decision, and and a, and a gutsy one at that to assume the kid's going to be okay after getting yanked in game four. I thought it was brilliant by Woodcroft. You, you know what's interesting about that? If the Oilers do this, like if the Oilers you know, march into Crypto.com here and, and take care of the Los Angeles Kings – you know what's going to be the moment of the series? It's not going to what's be Skinner. That? It's not going to be Zach Hyman scoring up the face. It's going to be the Jack Campbell save on Victor Arvidsson. Yep. It's not going to be Stu Skinner. It's going to be that because if Arvidsson scores there, that game is completely different. And LA probably wins that thing. Mm-hmm. That whole, if it plays out the way we think it is here with Edmonton beating Los Angeles. And again, I don't believe in momentum from game to game. And we'll see what happens next game here. But if the Edmonton Oilers win it, to me, the whole thing hinges on that save, and it's Jack Campbell. Campbell mm-hmm. on Arvidsson. That's the one that did right. it. That's the one. And I in, agree and, disagree. And in, in years past, that save alone would have meant he plays game five, and then who yep. knows what 60 minutes of Jack Campbell looks like. And that's why, again, it's a gutsy call. It's not a, it's not a slam dunk. Like you could have easily made the case that you you give it now to the the veteran over the rook because of how things went in game 4, but he didn't do that. And I think that's great because mm-hmm. I don't think I think Stuart Skinner gives them the best chance to win the cup. I truly believe that. And and kudos to Jack Campbell for coming in and 
and giving them what they needed in that game. But I'm telling you, man, the the the, the Mike Smith quotient on on Jack Campbell versus that of Stu Skinner is <laughs> is off the charts. Okay, then how have, in your estimation, the New Jersey Devils done this? Do we hand this more to, and by the way, the, the thing that I keep bringing up here is a 1992 Calder Cup final, Adirondack and St. John's, where Adirondack won the Calder Cup and no, not a single team won a home game. It was the most incredible you know, hockey playoff series we've, we've ever seen. Um, but teams are immune to winning at home in this one. It's so now a best two out of three. Um, and we're heading back to the, to the Prudential Center. Has, has this been more about what the Devils have done? And we're going to bring up the goaltender, and we'll bring up Jack Hughes. Or is this about how the New York Rangers, outside of Shesterkin and maybe the kid line, have fallen on their face? No. It, it, Gerard Gallant had to say the right things after Game 4, which is he had to challenge his stars, um, in particular, I think on the power play where you can say <clears throat> the Rangers have sort of fallen on their face and he had to talk about how the effort wasn't there and yada, yada, yada. But what he's not telling you is that what the New Jersey Devils did in game four is what the New Jersey Devils did throughout the regular season in amassing the highest point total in the history of the franchise when they are on their game, when they are winning with speed when they look like a bunch of Mark Stones out there picking pockets. And by the way, the Rangers, I think, had nine giveaways in the first two games and had 34 in games three and four. Now, score effects have something to do with that, but also the Devils' defense has something to do with mm -hmm. that. When they do that, when the Devils are playing their game, um, they're close to unbeatable. I'm, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. Like they, I've seen them do that to so many teams <laughs> not, in the regular on. season. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but you can't beat them. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, uh, but I, they're unbeatable. Dude, dude, I've they played a they played a period like that, like they played in Game Four against the Islanders yeah. earlier this year, where the Islanders maybe got a shot on goal in the period. Like yeah, I know when they when they do their thing, it, it is it doesn't matter if if Patrick Kane isn't creating space for himself or if Artemi Panarin shoots a puck wide, like they're just going to stop you. And there are very few teams. Boston was one of them that were able to kind of like overcome it. And so I, again, like I, I, the question is, can they repeat that when they play at home? Because I thought Lindy Ruff said the right thing the other day, which is that when they play at home, they have less structure. There are, they are a little bit more over the place. They're trying to pop the crowd and entertain the fans, and especially when you have a chaotic building filled with red and blue like they have in the series against the Rangers, like there's too much energy for them mm -hmm. to really kind of like stay on their game. But dude, if they play like they did in game four and they find ways to get pucks past Shurkin, which again, they've only beaten them four times at even strength, they're going to win the series. The um, If you would have told me at the beginning of the series that it was going to be split, uh, and it's going to be a best two out of three, I would say, all right, then, uh, in those four games, I'm expecting Timo Meyer to have, like, three goals oh. and two assists. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> looking at the stat line, and I got three bagels in front of me. Now, you can look at that and say either he's due or what's wrong. Which way do you no, lean? I think we're in what's wrong territory now because because the he's due game was game four. He he played. He had a really strong game three. Like he, I think he had mm -hmm. the most high danger chances amongst the Devils. He had, uh, you know, in, in the, at least the top two in, in shot attempts or maybe shots on goal. 
Um, he was on a line with Heischer and Brat, and they played really completely smoked the Rangers even strength in game three. Like you could feel it kind of building towards something finally happening on the score sheet for Meyer. And then in game four, like not only did it not, but then he was demoted to the third line and they put Tatar up with Brett and Keisher, which Ruff yeah. said was for defensive purposes. But at the same time, it happened way before you needed it to be for defensive purposes. So I don't know how much I buy that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Myers Myers been invisible um, on the stat sheet. He's had maybe one game where he's been visible away from the puck. Uh, it's not been good. And whether he's hurt or he's pushing it, like he's been visibly frustrated. He kicked the the sideboards with his skate the other night, and I thought he was going to, you know, they'd have to replace it. He kicked it so hard. Uh, he's been a real disappointment mm-hmm. in this playoff series so far. Um, let me ask you about the goaltender here, uh, Akira Shmeed. Um, So another in the, the long line of... Swiss players with the New Jersey Devils, uh, and that cube uh, begins uh, behind Nico Heischer and Jonas Siegenthaler, and we just mentioned Timo Meyer. Um, this is a great team if you're a fan of Swiss hockey. And you know, it's funny too because when we look at the powerhouses coming out of Europe, um, and this stretches back decades, it was always Sweden and Finland. Uh, the former Czechoslovakia before they split, and then it was Czech Republic and Slovakia. Like, there's a lot of hot spots. But the one, the, the one country, which I'll be honest with you, the one country, well, two, because I've always wondered about Germany too, but now that that's, you know, hockey's more of a, of a foothold there and now we're consistently getting elite level players out of Germany. The one country that I've just always wondered about um, is Switzerland and, mm-hmm. and, and why the lack of consistent elite level talent making its way to the NHL. I mean, every now and then there was someone and every now and then they would, you know, stun a team. Hello, Canada, um, at the Olympics. <laughs> but I did. Did you not always like even just growing up? Wish did you not say like, okay, yeah, there's a couple of Finns on this team. This team's got four Swedes. Blah 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 blah. Where are the Swiss players? Like hockey mm-hmm. is a, an ingrained sport in their culture. Um, they have tournaments that stretch back to you know pretty much the turn of last century. I've always wondered why it took Switzerland so long to send these players, to get these players to a point where they can be impact players in the National Hockey League. Germany is already there, and now we're starting to see it through the New Jersey Devils specifically. Um, the Swiss have arrived. Yeah, I mean, the the irony of having this many Swiss players and not playing something called the neutral zone trap Um I agree with you, man. Back hmm. in the day, uh, the uh, Swiss used to feel like like Martin Gerber, <laughs> and then like maybe Paul DiPietro gets you. No, a that goal. was it. That's what kind of that was it, right? <laughs> uh, it has it has taken a while. Gerber for the stands on his head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's taken a yeah. while for the proliferation of Swiss players, but uh, but yeah, no, I it's been exciting to see, and and, it, and it's, you know, not only obviously the Devils, but also Romagnosi and others like making the impact that they've had. Um, it does kind of make yeah. you think a little bit about the World Cup of Hockey and the number of teams that we'll have and how it's important to get as many nations involved as possible, even if they're not necessarily traditional hockey powers. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been fun to see there. I mean, and, and Schmidt Schmidt's an interesting one, uh, if only because, again, like, uh, you know, they, they kind of skipped over Mackenzie Blackwood in the rotation, if you will, to get to Schmidt because that's what they needed. And oh, I think yeah. it was a smart decision. And. I, I asked Ruff about the rebounds. He, of course, gave a great line about how the great thing about a rebound means the puck's not in the net. But I'm telling, like, 
you watch that kid there. He's not exactly a vacuum cleaner back there. I mean, there are pucks that are flying off those pads and flying off his glove and the devils to their credit have been really good in front of him. But there are, if, if Gallant's going to be upset about anything, it's probably that there are second chance opportunities that they're not taking advantage of. I'm, I'm trying to remember which manufacturer it was, but I remember having uh, conversations with Kevin Woodley about the nature of different, uh, different types of pads and some goaltenders like, you know, like the puck, essentially what you're saying is, you know, to, to stop as the goaltender makes the save. So it's lying right there in front of the goaltender so we can cover it up. There are others that want to kick that thing back out to the neutral zone. Like they want the, they want the pads to essentially be, you know, like, um, I don't know, like, like, uh, trampolines attached to your legs, just have that thing like fire out to the neutral zone. Um, I can't remember what manufacturer it was, but I mean, that is a, I, I wonder if that's more just about the equipment than the style of play. Cause Could I be. think, I think Could some, go, some goaltenders like, like the puck to end up in different places, but that's a conversation for smarter goalie people than me, namely Kevin Woodley, Mike McKenna and Steve Valakats. Um, okay. So off this page, uh, you have a thought on, oh no, actually, you know what? I want to ask you about the, uh, the global series. So this gets announced. Mm. It's good. We'll, we'll dovetail this coming off of, of off of Switzerland. And we saw uh, this last year with um, uh, with the Nashville Predators. But the, the Global Series next season, Stockholm, uh, Avicii Arena, formerly the uh, the Ericsson Globe, uh, November 16th, uh, the Red Wings and the Ottawa Senators. On the 17th, the Leafs and the Red Wings. The 18th, the Minnesota Wild and the Ottawa Senators. And then the 19th, the Toronto Maple Leafs against the Minnesota Wild. Interesting mm. here, the two Toronto Maple Leaf games, they're the visitors so they don't have to buy the Maple Leafs out of a home gate. Don't have to buy them out mm-hmm. of a home game at all. Uh, they're the visitors, so they'll keep the uh, however millions of dollars they, they extract from the uh, from Scotiabank Arena on a consistent basis. Uh, <laughs> I asked Elliot this, and, and maybe the answer is just, you know, this is just more, you know, stretch out the brand deeper in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. But do you have any thought on what a possible end game to all of this is? Like Australia is one thing, Arizona, Los Angeles, the two games there. The Global Series continues. I never think it's a bad idea to to get your sport into different countries and different continents. But just your thoughts on where we're at with international hockey in general on the the day where they announced the uh, the teams for the Global Series. Well, it's funny. You know, I used to think the end game would be like an NHL Europe or even maybe expansion overseas of some sort. Like early, I always thought that might be early nineties, mm-hmm. early nineties. And I, and I've got copies of these pro formas as well, somewhere in the back. Um, they looked at that and they looked, yeah. they looked at London. They looked at like, they looked at uh, Lisbon. Uh, they looked at a lot of the hot spots that you'd expect around Europe. Like this was, and this would have been right around the time, right before Gary Bettman took over. And at least I think in the first year of his tenure, as commissioner of the NHL, but this, but the, I don't think it's been seriously discussed. I don't think the idea of an NHL Europe since the early nineties. Well, remember Merrick in the early nineties, we had uh, the Concord and the hopes and dreams that by 2023, we would have Star Trek style <laughs> transporters that could take entire teams across yes. the globe in an instant. Um, and flying the cars. Jetsons so, promised us this. The, the, the Jetsons right. promised us this. That's right. You know, the only thing I ever wanted from the Jetsons, and by the way, here are two old guys talking about the Jetsons, uh, is the the food Araka cycle, where you can press a button and get like a full like turkey dinner in a matter of moments. It just it just pops out of the machine. We've gotten close well, to it in some I, vending machine technology, but yeah. we're not quite there yet. I think of the Jetsons every day. I named we named our 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 German Shepherd Astro, and it's not because I'm a fan of the Houston Astros. It's because of the Jetsons. 
Greg. Mm. So that's back to two old guys talking about Hanna Barbera cartoons. Anyhow, there you go. Um, so yes, I so the so, so after the Jetsons. To, ask, to answer your question, I used to think that it was about European expansion or, or whatever, but I, I got to thinking recently about things like the Premier League, and how they're they're not looking to put a team in like Salt Lake City, right? They're pretty good with right. where the Premier League is in in European football, and. I don't yep. think that the end game for the NHL is, is any any longer making an NHL Europe or, or 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 putting NHL teams in in Europe. I think it's very much like we want you to know that we are the best, and if you like this sport, you should watch this and also pay for it um, through your local provider or through our global pay per view network. Or what have you? Like, I, I feel like it's no longer about the concept of uh, European expansion or even an NHL Europe. It's about affirming the brand in those markets and also affirming the brand of those markets in the hopes that the World Cup and a Ryder Cup and those other mid-season international gimmicks that they're going to be trotting out for the next fifteen years um, create revenue possibilities in those markets there's one there's one thing that i've always wondered about and that mm -hmm. is it's one thing for the nhl to go there and look we're the uh, we're the top dog number one number one league in in the in the in the world uh, this is where the best players go let's just you know go over to finland and sweden and remind them uh every year that that we're the big dogs here i've always wondered about as a recruiting tactic in order to get the best possible players into your development leagues in North America, why there hasn't ever been more of a push to do tours with CHL or USHL teams. Hmm. That this is the level of competition, that this is the level of competition that we have. Like, oh, yeah. if you want, you can you can stay here and develop, but here's this fast track. You see the USHL will take you right into Division One. The CHL takes you, you know, right into the draft and, and minor pro and maybe for some players right into the NHL. I've always mm -hmm. wondered why maybe it's just maybe it's just an economic answer. I don't know. But, you know, the NHL is always interested in creating these these hothouse developmental leagues. I've always wondered why the, the CHL and the, and the USHL specifically, maybe they have investigated it. I don't know. But we've never heard really any noise about it at all. It makes know. sense. I mean, it players do sense. come. Players do come, right? Like when, you know, Thomas Vanek was, uh, was a canary in the cold mine once, uh, coal mine once upon a time for, uh, for that type of behavior. Okay, um, tonight, I've got a couple of minutes here left with you. Tonight we got a, a couple of games, Florida Panthers and Boston Bruins, but I want to ask you about Seattle and Colorado. Um, has Seattle, and the answer for me is yes, moved past and quickly <laughs> moved past the idea that they're just there to get some playing time in. This is nifty. Uh, just getting to the, the playoffs is our Stanley Cup. We're year two of our existence. And are they now very much of the, not only are we happy to be here, but we think we can beat the Colorado Avalanche. Where is Greg Wyshynski at on second year team, the Seattle Kraken? See, I never thought it was a case of jitters. 
Like, I never thought that was going to be their undoing. You've got guys in that team that have been on long playoff runs, you know, Jaden Schwartz and Alexiak and Everly and players yeah. like that. I never thought that it'd be a problem with jitters. These guys know what they're doing. They're all, they're all old pros outside of veneers. Um, what I thought was going to be their undoing is I thought Colorado was the better team. <laughs> um, and yeah, what the one key to the series for me, besides the, uh, goaltending for the Kraken having been better in the playoffs than it was in maybe like the last month of the season is the way they're jumping on Colorado. I mean, getting the first goal in each of these games is really kind of planting your flag and A, allowing the Kraken to play more like they want to play and B, putting a little bit of pressure on Colorado who loves to overwhelm you with an early goal in the first period and, and then go from there. So they've kind of flipped the script on them with the timing of their goals mm-hmm. And and obviously are are not a team that is by like they got a, they're a second year team. There ain't a whole lot of second year players in that team. Like you got guys that know how to yeah. maneuver these choppy playoff waters, and I think it's really coming through in in the way that they've been able to not allow the Avalanche to intimidate them. And again, like the problem with the Avs right now is attrition. And on top of Landis Cog being out, now you're losing McCarr for a game. You you know you, you I, I feel like all of the talk about oh they're you're going to be able to figure out a way to to fill the void left by Nazem Kadri, I mean, I'm happy to be proven right on that because that is a glaring, glaring hole in this yeah. lineup now in this series. Let me ask you about something. The Kale McCarr suspension for the hit on Jared McCann. Mm-hmm. It's one game. Now, yep. I didn't think it was going to rise to three, like the Michael Bunting hit on Eric Cernak, because the Bunting suspension was essentially two penalties. It was the high hit and interference. This was just yep. one. This was just late. It was like, it's, a, it's a bad look when a hit's being delivered as a fan is catching the puck. It's not a good mm-hmm. look. It's not nope. a good look at all. Um, I thought it would be two. It ended up being one. And I'm going to read you a two-word text that I got from someone who's been around the game for a long, long time. So the suspension gets announced, and this person texts to me, superstar discount about the one-game suspension. Do you buy it? No. That it would have been two, t- but there's a, super, no. there's a superstar discount. I don't buy it. I don't buy it because I think that there's another thing at play here that the Department of Player Safety has done time and time again that that texter, hello, Ron Francis, has discounted. I'm kidding. It's not Ron Francis. Uh, is discounting. <laughs> it's not Ron Francis. Which is, Ron Francis. Which is the Department of Player. And you, you know, I'm like one of those dudes that follows Supreme Court cases. Like I'm a, I'm a scholar on the Department of Player Safety. And one of the things that they do ah. is they take, they take into account who gets hurt? You know, you could talk about the two infractions on the bunting play, but the for bottom sure. line for the bunting play is that it also took out Eric Chernak, who is at a vital defenseman on a team that at the time thought it was going to be without Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. And so that definitely plays into their thinking and has played into the, like how important is this player to the team is definitely a thing that they've considered. So in my opinion, yeah, 40 goal scorer, superstar player, offender, I think those two things even out, personally. So hang on. So you, you don't think that that is more that 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 that, that warrants a, a longer suspension since it's going to be real hard for the Seattle Kraken to replace those goals. He's so crucial to this team. 
You don't think that should that 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 should rise to more than just one game? So you're so you're saying that the superstar and, discount is because it should be more than one game because of how important he is. Correct. Yeah, they got he he got the, he got the discounted price, the one game. That that's that's the point about the the superstar. All right, I may have just pro- I may have just proved your point then, haven't I? <laughs> I think you did a little bit, but that's okay. It's Wednesday afternoon. The, we're shooting the, the breeze, infra- and I'm not going to stop itself- you while you're making my point. <laughs> the infraction itself, though, is is I think just worth one game, don't you? The infraction itself is worth one game, but then when you take in the nature of the uh, the nature of the injury and how Jared McCann's not available for Game Five, um, and may not be available for Game Six, who knows? I mean, but it, it did seem pretty obvious that the Department of Player Safety, after the bunting hit, they had intel about how significant that injury was and how how much Eric Cernak was going to be out of the lineup and for how long. Because mm-hmm. I think that that did factor in. That did factor into him getting him getting three. That's what I'm saying. Like Jared McCann, like he he's out, man. He's yeah. out, like at least this one game. I don't know. The, to the, me, that the, to the, me the, again, like we're we're arguing about one or two. Two felt right, but three would have been too much. I, like, I see. You know, I think you and your texter make a good point. I'll I'll say one last thing on this though is that it was the first time that the referees have used the mechanism to review a major and gotten it wrong. Every other time, I think they've done it this postseason. I think they've, they've done a great job. Okay. I think it's been a, a positive okay. development, but they got that one wrong. I, and I'm with you on that one. Now, I wonder if, this is, I wish we had more time. I wonder if the fact that on that play, it was a five that was turned into a two by the officials and then George Perro stepped in and said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's actually a suspension. Not only is that not a five that should have gone to a two, that's a suspension. I wonder if that factored into what happened with Marcus Felino and the hit on Roddick Foxa, where the officials said, you know what? We're not knocking this thing down. You're getting a nickel and you're getting the game. Goodbye. Because that just happened with Kale McCarr. Mm-hmm. Is that a stretch for you, or do you think I'm I'm warm to something? Well, let me let me go full on, Mister Fantastic, and stretch all the way. Um, <laughs> is it is it is it is it, is it is it at all possible, Merrick? And I'm not one who traffics in conspiracy theories, okay. but is it at all possible that a player yep. who only a, a game ago really <laughs> called out the officials, emphatically <laughs> called out the officials? Is not going to get the I benefit of the doubt from referred. those same officials. Yes, I yeah, mean, again, no, I, I, have, I have a check out ESPN tomorrow. I've got a huge column coming out on the officiating. It's really good. It's insightful. It's it's solid stuff. I hope everybody checks it out. Um, I don't like to traffic conspiracy theories. I think the refs have enough on their plate that they don't need people like me assuming that they're meeting in uh, uh, torchlit dungeons conspiring against the Maple Leafs. But however. <laughs> I think I do think there's something to be said for players and coaches who criticize the officials in a very public way, not getting the benefit of the doubt next time. I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying that. I think there's ample mm-hmm. evidence that's happened in the past. And I do wonder if, along with it being a pretty egregious play, Merrick, if someone maybe doesn't get the benefit of the doubt when they call out the officials for BS in the in the press. <sighs> Yeah, I know. For for everyone that wants to 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 buy into that theory, yesterday was a massive protein shake. Yesterday was <laughs> a huge protein shake 
for people to <laughs> traffic it out. <laughs> Aha! So, the previous game, you're calling those two calls BS. And he called them BS. Like, he was loud. Give me that microphone. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. I, I, I wonder how much the Macar... The, I, I, do, I did wonder about that initially. I'm like, uh-oh, Felino could be in trouble here because he just slipped off about the officials and then thought about the uh, the Macar situation where the five-minute major turned into the two... Uh, and then George Perro stepped in and said, no, he's going to sit down for a game. And I just wonder if the official said, you know what? I I just saw what happened in the Seattle game against Colorado. And I don't want to be that official because I would like to work the next round. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of stuff in there. Okay, really good. So we went from, from PEDs to conspiracy theories about majors turning into minors and players getting ejected for lipping off about officials so all in a good day's work for uh, you and me greg wyshynski all in a good day's work indeed 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 um you'll be good wild, we'll, wild uh, so we'll look forward to your piece at uh, at espn.com about the officiating tomorrow thanks man have a great afternoon there he is greg wyshynski from espn.com a little heavy on time but that's okay